it was more of where was I getting the the adversity, right? Mm-hmm. And strangely enough, what I felt in my side, because we were never really in classes together, but what right. I felt in my side of NYU was, oh, well, when it's February, we'll ask you what you think, <laughs> right? right? And right. I'm like, but no, I want to do the Terminator. And then I would kind of get like a, black people don't do the Terminator. Uh-huh, uh-huh, you know, uh-huh. black people can't write aliens. Like, and that's the energy I felt, you know? And so uh-huh. I, I'm, I'm a Taurus. I'm incredibly stubborn. So I'm like, okay, well, that's what I have to prove wrong. I need right. to write science fiction, action movies, superhero movies, whatever it is, right. to expand the possibility of what they think the black mind is capable of. Right. While I was still figuring out what my contribution would right. be to the narrative of the black experience. Let's Shoot with Pete Chapman is a podcast on directing for anybody that's quite simply ever watched anything. Pete converses with a wide range of fellow directors, writers, actors, showrunners, producers, executives, and more on a journey to determine just what makes a good director and why we'll always need stories. The Director is Pete Chapman's digital studio, built on the pillars of craftsmanship that ensure a unique vision. I'm talking about story, innovation, perspective. Learn more about The Director, and better yet, get your official Director's Chair wear by visiting www.drctr.video. That's drctr.video. What's up, people? Welcome to episode 29 of Let's Shoot with Pete Chapman. Today's guest will be Brian Edward Hill. Brian is a writer, director. I call him a storyteller. He works in novels and comic books and TV and features. And he's he falls into that small group of one of the first Black people I met at NYU. We graduated the same year. We moved through those NYU streets together. We'll talk at length about that NYU journey in this interview. But just to kind of set the table for you, he has done a variety of television, including Titans, where he is executive. He's been executive story editor. He's been a writer. He wrote on The Last One, Ash versus Evil Dead, Cannon Busters. He has a variety of comics, Broken Trinity, Pandora's Box, Mortal Kombat, Seven Days from Hell, Netherworld, Far Cry, Rite of Passage, the Killmonger series, Batman and the Outsiders, Chariot. The man has been working in a variety of different spaces and has been smart and intuitive enough to figure out how to build a career out of a skill set that is often overlooked as far as some black writers. So we're going to dive into that. I've got no news for you this week. Not much to report other than a bunch of house cleaning, spring cleaning, and you know, getting things nice and tidied up after about nine months of uh, consistent shooting. But I guess on the creative end, I can say that my co-writer and I, Candace Sanchez McFarlane, have been going page by page through our high script. We're at about page 50 of 120, uh, making notes on what we're going to change, specifically after about a month of kind of global conversations and tweaks about what we might want to address in the script. So hopefully we'll have that new draft done in June and we'll hit the streets with it and see if I can't get back into this feature filmmaking game ASAP. But without further ado, 
let's get going into episode 29 with the illustrious Mr. Brian Edward Hill. Here we go. Roll sound. Speed. The interview. Take one. Excellent. Brian Edward Hill, thank you for joining the pod, man. How are you? No, thank you for having me, man. I'm, I'm really happy to be here. That's what's up, man. So I, I have to, this is one of the, uh, I think this is going to be one of those interviews where I learn something about somebody I've known for a long time that I never knew. Uh, <laughs> I've had friends on and I'm like, damn, I never knew that happened to you. Uh, so, you know, let's, let's dive into uh, where you're from. Now you're from, uh, you grew up in St. Louis. Like, how'd you, how'd you come to be on the podcast, man? What's the long story? <laughs> yeah, man. So I, I grew up in uh, St. Louis, Missouri, um, which is not the easiest place to, to grow up uh, as a person of color, <laughs> right? You know, um, and, uh, you know, I just real quick, I got into filmmaking because it was the second thing I wanted to do. Mm. Uh, the first thing I wanted to do was uh, catch serial killers. I wanted to work for the FBI. You know, I, I read uh, Red Dragon when I was like 12. And I was convinced that, oh, well, I need to be Will Graham. Like, I'm going to like, understand what the killer sees, right? all that, and that was going to be, you know, kind of how I did it. And then my mother, bless her heart, was like, find something else to do. <laughs> like, I don't care what it is, just something else, like something that doesn't involve you having a gun. And she broke it down to me at the, at the kitchen table. She let me explain. If you have a gun, that means that more than likely people you deal with will also have guns. Mm -hmm. And then you can get shot. So what else would you like to do? Right. Uh, and then at that point, I was like, well, you know, I like, um, I like movies. Movies are cool. Uh, yeah. And, and you know, like we all have those, those English teachers that uh, really kind of ignite the creative spark. Or, you know, this, usually, you know, if you're a writer or filmmaker, you have like a, a, an influence like that. Right. 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 And so um, uh, I had a, a, a really good group of teachers. I was a scholarship kid. I went to this high school called John Burroughs School okay. in St. Louis. It's, it's the new money school. Uh, not okay. new money, but it's like the newer money, right? There's the old, old money school. And then we were like kind of the, the more liberal counterpart to that. And gotcha. uh, John Hamm was my acting teacher. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, uh, Ellie Kemper was uh, in like... The class that came up right behind me. Oh, that's um, awesome. Bo Willeman is in my class. He and I are good friends, right? House of Lies, right? I mean, uh, House of Cards, right? House of Cards. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and so uh, I got a really decent kind of art education there and uh, set my sights on NYU, um, you know, to, you know, I was in film school uh, with you, you know, and, and really the writing stepped in because I was just so broke, Pete. Like I had... Wow. No money in NYU. This is how broke I was. <laughs> Senior year, I couldn't afford to live in the dorms. So I was living in an apartment on 138th in St. Nick. Mm -hmm. And I was walking to school every day because I couldn't afford the, the Metro card. So I'd get right. up at like 6.30 in the morning. Right. I would walk all the way down. It's still dark outside. I'd walk all the way down. i get to A Street about 9 o'clock first class. Wow. And then I, my classes, I always organize my schedule so my classes could get out around 5.30 or 6 because mm -hmm. I would walk myself back up to my apartment. I didn't want to be walking too late. 
right? right. And that was senior year. So um, I was like, well, Brian, you don't have enough money to make a short film. <laughs> I like it. You, you talk to yourself in third person. <laughs> yeah, just like, you ain't got it. You ain't got it. When, 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 so this, is, this is before MP3s, right? So when you go on them long walks, the CD only got 45 minutes of music on it. Right, right, right. You know, so my EPMD CD is over. By the time I get to like 72nd Street, I got a good 50 blocks of thinking to do. <laughs> so, oh, man. Uh, so, yeah, so uh, I was like, well, just write, right? Like, that's free. Um, and, and to be honest, what I always admired about you, Pete, is you had such a personal confidence like and you were so focused and so for everyone who's, who's watching this know that pete was one of the most focused people uh i i knew in nyu like because i used to check out film equipment to everybody and right. i never heard about you getting into in the dirt i never heard about you getting silly you were just working 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 and i always admired that about you um you know and and i was like well uh if i write a screenplay they don't have to hire me. Hmm. They just have to buy a piece of work. So it doesn't matter if I'm black, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. right? Because mm -hmm. you don't, you don't, you're not, you're not buying a black person. You're buying a script, right? You know, and and I was always into Michael Mann isn't, films. Isn't yeah, it? A, isn't it a shame though that we have to like uh, triangulate and understand that when oh, you just sure. you're just trying to get an education and you're out here also having to understand. Um, and, 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 and it's also a superpower though, that you picked mm -hmm. it up early, that you're walking three, you know, three to four hours to and from the place where you're getting an education that's putting you in debt. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? But like, just having to know, like, there's the art and then there's the culture and then there's the psychology of the people in the business and having to play all three levels, man. Like I tip my hat to that. Cause you, you notice that early. Well, you know, I mean, it's when you grow up in St. Louis, um, you're in a weird kind of cross section, right? Because mm -hmm. it's a purple city in a very red state. Mm -hmm. And you just figure out how to survive America in that paradigm. Mm -hmm. You know, like it's, it's, cause there's a real gravitational pull in St. Louis to keep you from leaving St. Louis. And how to so? be, well, just, you know, like it's the culture is you go to high school, then you, you know, you, go to a college that's close and then you get married and then you have a kid and then you work for somebody, right? Like that right. was kind of the thing. Uh, but I knew that back in Missouri, it wasn't even a glass ceiling. It was like an iron ceiling. <laughs> right. Right. Like right. You couldn't even see through it. You would hear success above it, but right. your world was dark. So I knew that I couldn't achieve what I wanted to achieve by staying in the state, um, which made it easy to go to film school because right. if everything in your life is a gamble, right. Then what's, how is that more risky than me trying to be a stockbroker or a doctor or a right. lawyer? You know what I mean? Like you being such a successful storyteller, you know, TV director, screenwriter, filmmaker for frankly, for like a white guy that might be like, Ooh, he took, he took a lot of risk for, for right. a black person in America. It's like, I take risk riding the bus. Right. <laughs> you right. know what I mean? So right. it's like that the, the risk of it is, you know, if I made it to 21, I can make it to Hollywood, right? That was that was my mentality. Man. That's awesome, man. And you know it's it's funny too, because I, I feel like um 
So well, let's hop. Let's hop to the NYU years, right? So if you yeah. re- if you you recognize this idea of like buying a piece of property versus hiring a black person, right? Was that yeah. was that part of your NYU education, or was that something that you had even identified earlier? Well, it would. It, it was the education that happened while I was in NYU, right? So mm-hmm. um, I, I talk about this often, Pete. I don't. I can't separate what I learned from the program, from what I mm-hmm. learned as a human being in New York City for four years, right? Like, it's very unique that way. Right. Because you're in this city that's teaching you things all the time while you're in school. So we all look for precedent. Mm-hmm. And uh, funnily enough, I was into horror movies. I saw that a guy, Alan McElroy, mm-hmm. wrote like Halloween 4. Right, Halloween Four: The Return of Michael Myers. Right, it's you know, fourth Halloween movie. No one really talks about it, but he was black. Right, right. And you 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 didn't watch the movie, knowing like, oh, they just wanted the black thing on Halloween. It was just a Halloween movie, right? Mm-hmm. And then I'm like, oh, okay. So you there there's a way to kind of separate their their prejudice from content if you can write content that just seems like it will be okay, be commercial, what have you, right? So right, right. It, it seemed like insurance against not being able to have any career, honestly, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought a lot, I was very strategic in, in, in college and I thought a lot about like, Brian, what do you want to get out of here with? Because you're not coming out of here with a short film that's going to get you a job because you don't have $35,000 to spend on a short film. Right. But what you can do is come out of here with some screenplays. You know, you come out of here with some products. So junior year and senior year, that was my focus, man. It was like, mm-hmm. okay, I need to just write scripts and get all the terrible scripts out of me. Right. Um, I'm still trying to do that. <laughs> <laughs> this morning. <laughs> yeah, this morning, you know, like, I'm still, still trying to do it. Um, right. Uh, and then that seemed like a viable way to you know, kind of get a, get a career going, man. And, um, you know, so it was me with a legal pad in Harlem writing scripts freehand and then finding time in the computer lab to type them up when I could and just build that portfolio. Did you ever feel, man, I got so many questions. This is such an interesting uh, topic. Um, Did you ever feel any conflict in this kind of separation of worlds, right? Mm. Because, you know what I mean? Because, like, there's, like, this very specific thing that you saw to and fro on your mm-hmm. walks. You saw, you know, growing up, going uh, from wherever you live to John Burroughs. Mm-hmm. And then you sit down at a keyboard, and are you divorcing yourself from those things? You know? And, and if yeah. so, did you ever feel any, any conflict in that? Well, you know, it's, it was always difficult for me as a storyteller to figure out how to approach my black experience in a way that felt unique, right? Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. you know, I always feel like, what can I possibly say that Alex Haley hasn't said? Huh. You know, like, right. what can I possibly, what, what new ground? Um, and, and, I could, and I would always struggle with it, right? And I would, I, would, I would start to engage it with some purely dramatic work. And, you know, you know, we know like, you know, like Theo Travers and I, another writer, you know, um, if it hasn't been on, he should be on. He's amazing. Yeah, he and I would have, 
He has been, he's been on great. Yeah. Like, you know, he and I would have these conversations about this kind of thing. And um, I think what really focused me wasn't a, ooh, I don't want to deal with that. It was more of where was I getting the, the adversity, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And strangely enough, what I felt in my side, because we were never really in classes together, but what right. I felt in my side of NYU was, oh, well, when it's February, we'll ask you what you think, <laughs> right? right? And right. I'm like, but no, I want to do the Terminator. And then I would kind of get like a, black people don't do the Terminator. Uh-huh, uh-huh, you know, uh-huh. black people can't write aliens. Like, and that's the energy I felt, you know? And so uh-huh. I, I'm, I'm a Taurus. I'm incredibly stubborn. So I'm like, okay, well, that's what I have to prove wrong. I need right. to write science fiction, action movies, superhero movies, whatever it is, right. to expand the possibility of what they think the black mind is capable of. Right. While I was still figuring out what my contribution would right. be to the narrative of the black experience. Yeah. It's interesting. And I asked you that as a, as an, as an alley-oop question, because, uh, you know, my wife and I were watching something last night. I won't name it, but (laughs) it, it was a reminder to me that I was making this analogy of like, movies, screenplays, films, TV shows, they're, you know, homes, right? They're Mm -hmm. all the same thing, right? So it's like a house is inclusive of a roof, some fucking rooms, a bedroom, an office maybe, depends how much space you have, you know, but the the governing principle will be the why, Mm -hmm. right? So like if you have a creative kid, then that bedroom looks different. Right. Mm-hmm. If you want to entertain, then you kind of lay it out a little different. And so I, I'm I'm coming to this. Um, I've not just come to it, but I have this opinion that the only thing that makes these things that will make entertainment, TV, film, whatever unique is going to be the why. And they've mm-hmm. mined the why. It, it's dry. It, there's nothing else. They've mined it to 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 death. There's no oil left in that field until you start maybe using the why like Jordan Peele used in Get Out, right? Mm-hmm. Or like, like so now that's a whole new area. And, and ironically, it feels like they're going to want to start if they're smart and want to make money, but also want to even the playing field of cultural storytelling. They're going to need to mine the things that we've had to be very strategic in kind of divorcing ourselves from in order to get here, if that, if that makes sense. It, it makes total sense. And I think that is the, the, the beauty of the moment, right? Mm-hmm. And, and, and a lot of it now is about how do we as creators sustain the moment with excellent work? You know, I mean, because that's always the key, right? Like you, right. The, the way something becomes a permanent fixture and not just get relegated to trend is through excellence of execution mm. in the mm-hmm. moment you have. You know, like you can get the you can get time on the mic, but you got to have bars, right? <laughs> you know, right. If you don't have bars, then that's it. It's a wrap, right? right? So, um, so yeah, and uh, uh, that that's like the like Black Panther when we were in film school was an impossibility, right? Yeah, like you right. couldn't what. Like a two hundred million dollar movie to Wakanda, what? You know, right? And um, stop uh, dreaming. Yeah, yeah, and I, I you know, and I, I've been fortunate enough to bump into a Kugler, um, 
And, you know, just, just the, just the idea of Kugler, you mm-hmm. know, just, it was just like, whoa. Right. Like, like it, I couldn't fathom that right. Um, right. back in the day. And so we, you know, we do have this kind of really, really great moment. And I'll tell you, you know, going back to strategy, mm-hmm. what I recognized was the emotional experience of hip hop seemed to be really universal mm-hmm. in, in like the nineties. Mm-hmm. Right. Right, right. So what I what I thought I would do is I I would never indicate race in my scripts. I would just have character names and ages. I never really indicated who was what race, right? Right. But what I always tried to do was encapsulate my experience as a black male in America into whatever protagonist I was writing. You know, whether it was a female protagonist, male protagonist, whether they whether the audience could see them as white, you know, black, whatever, I would always port it in. So you would get those universal stories about adversity, overcoming mm-hmm. it, mm-hmm. identity, right? right? Survival, right? right. Um, and I think those things added a universal quality to these things, specifically drawn from my experience, but just not overtly reflective of it yet, you know? Right. So it's the same thing as like the suburban kid that listens to NWA mm-hmm. and feels mm-hmm. those emotions, Right. You know, like, like when I was, because Burroughs is a, is a school full of rich people. Right. And we were all watching Boys in the Hood. Right. We were all watching Juice. Right. Right. You know, um, and so, so it's like, okay. And, 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 and I, and I would learn this from studying comedy, strangely enough. Hmm. You know, I would, I would uh, like listen ad nauseum to Richard Pryor, hmm. you know, Garrett Morris. You learn a lot. Yeah. You yeah. learn a lot. And, and really see like, okay, this is how Pryor is universalizing his experience, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. And I would study Eddie Murphy. I'm like, okay, and this is how Eddie Murphy is universalizing that experience, taking some of the confrontational edge off of Pryor, mm-hmm. still keeping the truth, right? But, but sliding the scales more towards pure entertainment, right? right. Right. And so uh, all of those things kind of helped form my initial strategy of how do I brand myself as someone that can be both authentic to who I am, but also make enough money for the paradigm that I'm not seen as a threat, but rather an asset. Right. Man, this right here is, is uh, you know, it's, I'm, I'm glad we, I'm glad we do this podcast, man, because I, I, it's good to get to rap about these things. I also feel like I wish I would have had an outlet to hear some of these things. For sure. Um, and people keeping it 100 about it. Um, let's take it. Let's let's go back. So now you you, you spent your junior and, and senior year kind of stockpiling uh, content. So you yeah, had like have, three scripts or something I'd written that were high concept action thrillers, you know, but we but features features, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, look, I because you know, I I remember when I started writing my writing that writing a feature is is a hard, difficult endeavor, especially in the beginning when you don't know what the fuck you're doing, sure. and you think you think you do, but you don't. But you and don't. so to come out with three is is even if they all sucked, you still well, they were trash. Did it. <laughs> <laughs> don't worry, not they were trash. They were trash, but but, the, um, but they were you know. Look, you had trash. I didn't have trash. I. I, I was, <laughs> I was talking about the trash I could have made, you know? <laughs> so, um, but, so you, you graduate and then what next? You're, you, you got that purple diploma, you know, you, yeah, you yeah. swing that tassel to the other side. What, what happened next? 
Well, I'm, you know, I'm a Missouri boy, so I'm super pragmatic, right? So I was mm -hmm. like, I just need to get a job somewhere. Um, and film school, that degree didn't mean very much. It meant a little bit on Madison Avenue, though. It got me a couple entry-level right. gigs. So I worked at White and Kennedy. Uh, I worked at Ogilvy and Mather. And literally, like, we're talking mailroom stuff. Right. Um, but, uh, and it was like through temp agencies. So I wasn't even officially on the payroll. It was the whole thing. But... I got a really good opportunity over at White and Kennedy. I was there for about four months and it was a good four months. And, and they had me do some culture hunting, which is basically just going out, taking like snapshots, Polaroids at the time of mm -hmm. what was going on in the culture and then bringing it in, back in the streets, in the streets, right? in the streets. <laughs> and then bringing it back, you know, and then I got, I got to really, because advertising in Hollywood were, um, close then now right. marketing departments make decisions now, right? Like it's, right, right. but I got to understand the, the way marketing thinks a little bit. And that helped me kind of figure out my own personal brand, you know, mm. how to do all that. And so it was a lot of like, just like office day jobs. Um, mm -hmm. uh, and then, and then I, I wrote a novel, uh, that was based on one of my other scripts. It wasn't an action thriller. It was like this kind of you know, avant-garde, you know, dramatic thing. And uh, I got a call on a Monday that Simon & Schuster wanted to buy the book. You know, cool. Um, mm -hmm. But then on Tuesday, 9-11 happened. Oh, shit. Yeah. Um, and then on Wednesday, while we're all grieving and terrified and going through what we're going through, I get a call that, well, they don't want to publish the book now because of force majeure and, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. all these other things, right? And I can't be upset about my stupid novel in the middle of a global tragedy, right? Um, right? But everything ground to a halt in New York in 2001. I mean, for young people listening to this, I don't think you can really, you know, it's, it's, like, it's like COVID, but imagine if COVID happened in a day. Right. 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 Like between yeah. Tuesday and Wednesday, everything just stopped and we mm -hmm. didn't know like what the way forward was, right? So then I went back to St. Louis because uh, I just had no money to sustain myself in New York. And I honestly thought I was going to I was gonna stop, Pete. I was like, hmm. I don't know. Maybe that's a sign. Maybe the universe wow. is sending me a sign, right? Um, so I, I made this one promise to myself. I was like, okay, you're going to write one more thing. And you're going to put all of it in there. Like your frustration, mm -hmm. your fear, right. your blood. Right. You're going to put it all in there. And if it does nothing for you, you're still young. You know, right. go go to grad school, be a teacher, you know, mm -hmm. be that funny guy with the last cubicle and the Spider-Man tie <laughs> that all the temps like because you still have a soul, right? right? Dreams. Do you have dreams? <laughs> I'll be that dude. Like, oh, we like Brian. Right. He's got the bobblehead. Right. You know, right. be that right. that guy. And um, so wrote the script, which wasn't very good, but it was about... It's like an action story about a guy who suffered a tragedy and wanted to quit and then got brought back into the game and whatever. And so I ported in all of those feelings that I had into the script. And it was it's it's messy and raw, but it got to a, a, a like kind of a medium level producer, it got an option off of it. You know, it was my first real like screenplay blood I drew in the sport. Right. You right. know, it was like five grand or something, but it was it felt like a fortune. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Like it from was, your imagination. It was validating. It's validating, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, and so that connected me to Dolph Lundgren, strangely enough. Uh-huh. Because he read that script. Um, and I had moved back to New York 
And I was living with um, this, like, a bunch of comic book artists in Queens, which was this whole other thing that I was doing. Great fellas there. I met, like, lifelong friends there. And I remember getting a call from my manager at the time, and, and manager's like, Dolph wants to talk to you. And I was like, Dolph who? <laughs> you know, like, Dolph Lundgren. And I was, like, I was like, oh, there, there's two Dolph Lundgrens? Right. And he was like, no, no, it's the same one, right? So I'm like, okay. So I get this call, and, you know, it's like Dolph on the phone. Brian, I read your script. It was very good. I want to direct a movie, and I, I want you to write the movie. And I'm like, what? And my friends are all huddled around the speakerphone, and they're all like, he's talking to Drago. Um, and so that turned into me working with Dolph on an action movie. It was just a little direct-to-video thing. It's called The Russian Specialist. You can right. see it on Amazon. But for me, it was everything, Pete. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right? Because mm-hmm. it was like... I remember they flew me out to Spain. I got wow. to hang out with Dolph. I'm writing the script at this little cafe. I can see the Rock of Gibraltar coming out of the water. And That's so awesome. I was thinking to myself, all those government cheese sandwiches you ate growing up, you know, all, all that couldn't afford, you know, couldn't right. get a car in high school, couldn't right. do this, couldn't go on the spring break trip. Couldn't right. do that. Couldn't afford the fancy calculator for the math class. Had to find it used. Like all the stuff you had to go through, right? Yeah. yeah. Getting to the point where you're making something up and, you know, you might as well be on another planet. Like right. clarifying. So then, so I wrote that movie. That movie, you know, went to, went to video. That was a, like I had a robust direct-to-video market at the time. So that was part of it. Right. And then that got me started. Then there was a long drought uh, for a bit. I thought that, oh, well, I wrote a movie. So now oh, I'm here. I get more movies, right? Like every week right. is a movie, right? No, right. it was like two years of me playing multiplayer Halo, mm-hmm. kind of wondering what my life was going to be. And then um, uh, I wound up writing a script, uh, make a long story semi-short. I had the script that I wrote that was about um, aliens abducting a former soldier. And it was this, kind of treatise on PTSD uh-huh, and uh-huh. and what happens to soldiers and like a soldier who used to do pretty terrible things um being abducted subjected to the same things he used to do to other people it was kind of like a twilight zone drama and i right. gave it to my reps at the time and they were like yeah we like the concept but we don't like the approach hmm. you know just make it like an action movie or something and I was so crestfallen. I was heartbroken. I thought I was like blending genres and I was Soderberghing <laughs> the game. And I was so mad. And my wife remembers it. I was so mad. I remember the story I heard or read in a magazine somewhere. Because I was one of those Starlog cinema uh-huh. fantastic kids. I'd read all the magazines at the library. Everything was library because I was broke. But I would read them right. all at the library, right? And I remember, um, I think it was David Seltzer, the guy who wrote The Omen. Mm-hmm. He had a story where he had he was so frustrated with Hollywood that he wrote what he thought would be the stupidest thing he could write out of rage. And he was like, what if someone adopts the Antichrist? Right. right? right. And that became the omen. So uh, I remember that. And I wrote a draft out of pure anger that was like, okay, I'm just going to write the stupidest version of this. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Like, aliens take Jack Bauer's wife, and he has to slap box his way through aliens to get her back. <laughs> and and I remember right. studying studying Die Hard by Stephen D'Souza, the screenplay. 
Yeah. Because the screenplay is based on a book called uh, 58 Minutes by Roderick Thorpe, right? And oh, the book, I didn't know that. Yeah, the book is, it's, it's sort of similar to David Morrell's novel, uh, First Blood, that became the movie First Blood, right? The book right. is more character study okay. with action in it. But D'Souza had written this screenplay that just moved like a bullet, right? Like, I mean, if you, if you read the original Die Hard screenplay, you get to the bottom of the page, he cliffhangs to make you turn the next page, right? It's just huh. one of the most beautifully, like, kind of just um, strategic forms of storytelling I saw. So I tried to mimic that as much as possible. And I was like, I'm going to make this, like, a 92-page bullet of stupidity. Okay. Um, and keep the dialogue punchy and the rest of it. And I wrote it, and like a, I, I probably did that redraft in like two days. Right. You know, just like... <laughs> and, of course, Universal buys that. Right, right. <laughs> right. But, you know, just to, just to like pit stop there, that's mm-hmm. such an important skill. Because, I look, I can tell you, you know... I've done a lot of comedies, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, and 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 you know, oftentimes it's the jokes that aren't the funniest to me that kill. And mm-hmm. so then you end up getting this kind of radar for, all right, that's gonna that's gonna get them. Mm-hmm. And then when you can kind of harness that, so you know, like you can hit them with that kind of joke that's maybe a little bit more broad to like kind of jab them and, and butter them up, and then if you have a, a, a larger intent and later on you hit them with something that's a little more poignant, you get more people to pay attention. But it, mm-hmm. but it's it's such a weird, like, you know, I think that's the thing coming out of film school and having uh, having agendas and having, like, right. such an appreciation for the craft, you know, you kind of have to... It's like we want to get out there and, and, and just be between our legs and, and flashy and do all this cool stuff. And then you start doing it in volume and you start learning the principles about how to tell a story. And it just makes you better at wielding the weapons, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, and, and one of the things I think I knew instinctually then that has now become skill Mm-hmm. Um, because uh, it's been refined by people I've worked for and, and learn more about it is no matter what your story is about, no matter how complicated the concept, no matter how many characters you have, how sprawling it is or how small it is, you always want to make sure you know what the emotional through line is of the story. And so in that script, even though conceptually it was wild, um, I'm not sure (laughs) the physics made any sense, right? Underneath it was a story about this, this guy who had not forgiven himself for things he had done. He had found uh, love mm-hmm. in his life that was redeeming him. And when she's taken away from him, he's going to risk everything, you know, not to just get her back, but to prove that he's the person that she loves and not the person that he was, right? Right. And like... And, and I mean, even though it's got the tropes of the princess in the castle and Mario having to save her, like, you know, you know, apologies, internet, but um, <laughs> it, it was still clarifying emotionally. And that's, you know, one of the things, like, even now, like, you know, working uh, uh, for Greg Walker on Titans, mm-hmm. one of Greg's things is always, what's the emotion? You mm-hmm. know, 
So when we have like Dick Grayson and Bruce Wayne and, and Coriander and all these fantastical elements, we're always trying to nail down, okay, cool. But what's the emotional story right. here? You know, like, like how do we lock the audience in? And I think because I was so just irritated and really fear is just, I mean, anger is just fear in a little black dress, right? Right. So when you're angry, you're just afraid. Right. And what I was afraid right. of is, oh, I might not right. be able to do this, mm -hmm. you know? And that mm -hmm. manifests as anger, right? Um, but because those emotions were so strong and I could tap into them, I think something got carried into the work. Um, mm -hmm. And then that sold and that brought me out to LA because I didn't move out to LA until I'd sold a screenplay. Uh, so what year What year was that, that, that you saw these palm trees? Oh, we are, we are, we are probably deep into the aughts now. So yeah, cause I moved out here. Obama was already president when I moved out here. Okay. So between the Dolph Lundgren movie and my first sale, we're talking like seven years or something. Right. Of right. toil. Right. And, and how are you, how are you surviving? Oh man. Well, I was living at home in St. Louis most of that time. So I was working That's at a right. video game store, mm -hmm. you know? Uh, I was, uh, I worked at a video store. I worked at a video game store. I did odd, you know, office jobs as I could in the loo because I could save money in the loo. Right. You know, rather than like just hand to mouth in New York mm -hmm. or hand to nothing in LA. Right. And I'd been broke in New York. I'd been broke in St. Louis. I wasn't going to be broke in LA. <laughs> right? right. 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 I was going to have one city where I wasn't broke. <laughs> I guess so, I kind of did the same thing, man, because I didn't I didn't move out until um, 2017. It was like when I had when I booked the first ever episode, Kenya was like, we're going to give you a blackish. And I was like, OK, well, that's a I could see what happens on that. You know yeah, what I mean? Like, for sure. I don't want to be out here uh, exactly like you're saying, figuring out how, well, you, how to you survive. hit like a rocket. Like, I, you know, we had lost touch after school because I'd lost touch with everybody, really. And. And then suddenly you showed up and it was just like, <laughs> bam, bam, he's doing this, he's doing that. And I remember your feature, you know, the, the Zoe Saldana movie. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I was like, and it was the same thing. Like, I thought, oh, well, Pete directed that movie. So now he's going to be like, you know, working with like Coppola or something. You know what I mean? I just assumed right. that you made a good movie with strong performances. It's a good story, right. well told. Then it would be, you know, just a thing. <laughs> just like, hey. what else do you need to do, right? Hey, you were you were in St. Louis and I was in New Jersey having the same exact thoughts. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because I was so happy for you because it was such an achievement, man. And and um and I, we weren't like that close in film school, but you know you always kind of look at you know frankly the success of other Black folks, right? As mm -hmm. for me, yeah. it's always validating. Like I don't right. I don't have a hater bone in my body, right? right. So. Right. When I saw you were doing that, it made my life a little easier because I'm like, okay, I know right. where Pete comes from. Right. Right. We can't, I can, I can still keep my head down and do this, you know? Right. If he's doing that, then I can keep focused. And so it was really an important thing for me because when, when your movie came out, that was a pretty dark time for me mm. in terms of just confidence and hope. And, you know, you're at that age where you're like, mm. I can turn the boat around right now. Right. But that, I mean, that's the thing. And, and for you too, man, like I, I, I know that, you know, we probably talked more after school than while there, like in the hallway, yeah, yeah. Ticket and, you know, sure. I had, had 
hit a dining hall or something. Yeah, yeah. You know, but but there was always the periodic like, yo, man, what's good? Mm-hmm. Yo, I, like just random totally. check-ins, like like all right, you're out here like continuing the fight and survive. And like the thing I always tell people too, and and not not every journey merits this comment, but I can tell you from yours and I can tell you from mine. There was a point where had we stopped doing it, we wouldn't have been fucking crazy to have stopped. No, it would have made sense. It would have made sense. It would have been arguably the right choice based off the data we were getting back from the world. You mm-hmm. know, but like, so when you when you tell these stories, you have to have you, and get into this game. You got to have a real passionate, you know, reason that's beyond um, some kind of fame or success. You know. Well, that's why I like doing these things and being being honest, right? Because what yeah. I needed to hear wasn't just, oh, well, you know, you do this and you do that and you do that. I needed to hear that people were going through what I what I was going through or like went through mm-hmm. what I was going through, you know? Right. And so much of Hollywood is about once you get there, you create your own mythology. Right. Well, so when when let's talk about that, right? Yeah. Because I love I love that you talk about branding, because um, I'm I'm a big believer in that. And you know, even if I go back to uh, to college, man, you always had a very specific look. You know what mm-hmm. I'm saying? And you continue it now. And I think that that that's a little subtlety of branding. You know, like like yeah. for me, I, I recognize like shit. I, I'm gonna get some nice glasses and have a hat. And that's kind of like if you if you right, if you, right. it, you people could be like yo I, I think I asked Pete because he got a hat on and shit you know yeah, yeah, yeah um but like when when did there's all this time you took kind of sculpting your craft and uh, refining your even just I'm sure your personality because like you and like Theo like you guys gotta you know like move through a room full of vultures like Jay said you know what I mean like mm-hmm. and and, and kind of have to adapt much more than me, right? Because like by the time I come, like just for a TV show, like I've been in those notes meetings and I'm like, okay, this is crazy up in here. But like, I know to get here when it right. was 15 people around the table and not just the writer and the showrunner, I can, I man, I'm good, you know? But like, when did your mythology, when did there start to be a mythology kind of applied to you, I guess. Like when did mm. Hollywood recognize what your brand was and what you offered to them? And I guess that's subtly saying, like when did shit start popping for you? I It was, it was comics, really, mm. right? Mm-hmm. So I always had this notion that, okay, I'll, I'll back it up. I had a meeting and I forgot the executive's name. She was out in Santa Monica or something. In my memory, she looked like she was 17 years old. I don't know what it was, you know. Um, and, and it was, you know, when you, so when you write, you, you have a screenplay that someone optioned or something, and uh, you start taking these meetings, right? You start, you know, going to these general meetings, and they rarely turn into anything, but you, you know, you take them anyway. And so I took this one meeting with this executive, and it was about some other project. But I remember her in the meeting saying, she was so happy that she was able to get this one writer who had who knew everything about tanks or something mm-hmm. because she was working on some war movie about tanks and he was an author that wrote things about tanks. And my takeaway from that conversation was she probably rarely talks about a screenwriter she hires that way. Hmm. But she talked about this other writer that way because they had written in another form. 
Mm -hmm. So I'm like, okay, what I need to do is do something besides screenwriting. I need to establish myself as a writer in another form along with screenwriting so that right. my screenwriting will have more value. Right. And that's when I set my mind on comics. And I, right. my, my representatives at the time thought it was all folly. You don't make any money, you know, 10% of like 1200 bucks to write an issue is nothing. They would rather <laughs> you like write seven high concept screenplays that don't sell for the right. chance of selling right. than to be writing like The Flash every month, right? I just got no help from them. But I knew that if I was on a shelf, if I had a fan base, if you could Google me, and it wasn't just the IMDb, but you saw other things, it would raise right. the premium on my work. And this was before like comics and film had really like gotten into this way before Iron Man, you know, right. we're, we're not right. there yet. And so um, I, I kind of worked outside of my reps at the time to get a job working on a book. And Matt Hawkins, the guy over at Top Cow, um, I think I'd sold Gone that screenplay I mentioned with the, the Jack Bauer alien thing. So I'd sold that right. script. <laughs> um, and, uh, uh, and if it comes out, it's awesome. You know, don't, don't let me sell it. If you love it and it comes out, don't. Don't let me, don't let me, don't let me put the shade on it. You know, time and place, y'all, time and place. And sometimes you don't like the, sometimes you don't listen to the old records. Doesn't mean right. the old records are bad. There you go. It just means like, you know, uh, I can't put the Slim Shady LP on anymore. We marshal now. Right, 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 right. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I mean, you know, I mean about that no more, right? You know, I don't put reasonable <laughs> doubt on too much now. You know, now, you know, now we're on the other thing, right? So, um, yeah. So that so when I started writing this book, Postal, over at Top Cow, uh, and and that book went on for like two years, and it's like it's like serialized storytelling. It was kind of dramatic. Mm -hmm. It was like a crime thriller. You start getting reviews. You start building mm. the fan base. Your Twitter followers right. start growing. Right. You're engaging culture. Now right. you've got something that you've written that has value because it's an IP. People right. like the IP find out you're a screenwriter too, and then the premium raises on your work. So I always figured that um, I need to build a, a persona as a storyteller, not right. just a screenwriter. Right. You know, right. and I need the Smart. cultural evidence because I'm, I'll just be frank, I'm black. Writing is seen as an intellectual pursuit. Mm. Intellect is the last thing people give us if they give it to us. And when they give mm -hmm. it to us, we have to wrestle it out of their fingers. Right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. if, if I had work that was already out there, then you couldn't really say I wasn't a writer because I was writing the things. Right. And so right. I think that. And that combined with comics becoming more valuable to Hollywood in general. Right. You know, some of it is the, the alignment of planets. So like the, yes. the cultural alignment of planets meant that I had now unique value. Right. Because I could write screenplays. I also wrote comic books. Mm -hmm. That's where the business was moving. So let's bring him in. And then I was right. able to capitalize on that and sold some pitches and, and right. you know, had some more work out there. Hey everybody, it's Spencer Garrett, and you are listening to Let's Shoot with Pete Chapman. Transitions, a director's journey and motivational handbook is Pete Chapman's upcoming book from Michael Weezy Productions. 
What started in 1993 has been a marathon of persistence and creative pivots, transitioning from indie filmmaker to teaching at NYU's acclaimed film school, to running a production company, to directing television and commercials, and ultimately eyeing a return to the feature films that gave him a start. A mixture of how-to, self-help, and inspiration, this book is for any person targeting a successful career in the creative arts. Transitions, a director's journey and motivational handbook is coming soon. What do you do in a pitch? When you mm. go in and you sell something in a pitch, like, uh, tell me what that looks like as far as you know, your preparation for the meeting as far as the content of the pitch, your preparation for the meeting as far as the people in the room, sure. and then the performance of Brian Hill once he gets in there, because those sometimes that's like, the, that's totally different. You know, that's that there's an art to that part of it too, right? Mm, yeah, no, that's a good question, Pete. So um, in general, uh, I'm a pretty prepared person. So if I hear that I have a pitch coming up with someone, uh, I'll look them up first mm -hmm. and see if I can find any interviews or anything out there just to get a sense of who they are as people, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Because you have like the playful executive that likes to have fun. You have the very mm -hmm. studious executive that's really focused on this, you know? You have the transactional right. executive who doesn't seem like they like stories at all, but this is a job, right? <laughs> <laughs> and so you, <laughs> you know the one I'm talking about. You know, I know it all. I know it all. Yeah. You're pitching them and they're just like, that sounds like a story. Sure. Right, you know, right. um, so I try to get a sense of the audience. I try to get a sense of the company that I'm pitching, mm -hmm. you know, like where, what their focus is, but I don't let that govern too much of my thought process. Right. I just kind of, mm -hmm. it's data, you know, and then, so the data is in the back of my mind. Um, uh, the next thing I do is I'll practice the pitch. Um, but I try to, to really go back to what I think the roots of storytelling are. Okay. And by that, what I mean is stories were originally told orally because we didn't have the ability to read and write. And what stories did was they made us feel better about the unknown. Mm. Right. Okay. So when, when winter came, you needed the village storyteller to tell you a story about how spring was on the way. Right. I when darkness this. fell, you needed the storyteller to tell you how you could keep the things in the dark from harming you. So I tend to treat my pitches like campfire stories, right? I just try to tell a story, you know? Right. And, and that's how I practice it. Um, right. And I learned, I learned a lot of this from just uh, from one moment. I was in New York. I went to see Neil Gaiman uh, at Barnes & Noble. Mm -hmm. And what I noticed about Neil is, Neil is always telling a story. So when someone was like, you know, Oh, Neil, you know, I'm a big fan of Sandman. And I was just wondering, like, how did you come up with the thing that you did the thing? And so Neil would take a breath and be, well, you know, one day I, I woke up. And I don't know why, but I just had a terrible evening, couldn't sleep. And then I made some coffee. <laughs> and and I'm, everyone is leaning forward now, right? Like, right. this is like, you know, because storytelling, right? right. And so... Right. Um, that's what I try to do in pitches is mm -hmm. I try to, to fill the room with the joy of storytelling because my feeling yeah. is people, you know, they hear these things all day. Right. And, and so 
executives will take notes and I don't dislike executives. Like, you know, I have great relationships with, with most of them. I have like a couple terrible experiences, but by and large, you know, right. they have a job to do. I have a job to do, you know, so on and so forth. Um, but I, I, I've learned that people come away remembering how they felt more than remembering uh-huh. the details of what you said. Exactly. Right? And then because I would, because my corporate experience um, and any executive who may hear me will be like, well, that's not how it is at all. Um, but what I, what I feel like it is, is if you were hearing pitches on a thing, mm-hmm. then you're looking for a solution to a problem. The problem yeah. can be, we need more content. The problem can be, we need to find someone to adapt this content. The problem can be, we had someone adapt this content, but we didn't like what they did with it, right? But right. you're coming into a problem scenario. So mm-hmm. uh, I try to, to you know, feel like the solution to the problem. Man. And oftentimes, a lot of what I do is rewriting. Mm-hmm. And in the game of rewriting, I find the battle is letting someone know you still have a movie. Hmm. Right? Like, you don't, you're not sure if you have a movie. Right. You thought you did once. Right. You hired somebody. Script came in. Now you don't know if you have a movie. Right. So let me show you, you still have a movie. Right. Right. Um, and, and getting into it that way. And so uh, I found that that's been fairly successful. I mean, I have like a 75% hit rate on pitches, right. you know. Now, now, taking all of that into account, it's all in the pot, right? Mm-hmm. Now, do you come in and say, I expect to talk for 15 minutes? Mm. Like, you know, like, what do you, how do you build that? Uh, how do you design that? Do you, you know, are you, do you have like the, the, uh, well, okay, let me, I, maybe you can guide me. Cause what yeah. I've done when I pitched, right. I've been like, okay, there's obviously the, the work, the room, get it warmed up, kind of understand people before you dive in. So it's not just purely mm-hmm. transactional, but then there's like the kind of, you know, synopsis tagline teaser version of it. Then there, which could go long or short, depending upon how, whether they're leaning in or not. Then there's, you know, the talking about it where I expect to talk for maybe 10 to 20 minutes. And I'm going to kind of, I kind of have all these mile markers where I know I could lean in more on this, but if they're not digging, uh, if they seem like they want to hear more on character, I'll I'll fucking go deeper on that. If it doesn't, maybe I'll lean in on plot and I'm, I'm really trying to gas clutch it. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, how do you, like, how do you step into that? Do you, do you work in that kind of way or do you just say, I'm going to tell a story and it takes how long it takes? Um, uh, well, no, I try not to go on too long. I mean, I just totally bricked a pitch like two weeks ago where I was just going on too long because I came in there with like a nine page document and I was going to go through it. And you realize halfway, like, Oh, I just, I'm playing the wrong songs for Kansas city. You know, <laughs> right. but we, right. we're already halfway into this set. So we just go and get through it. And my apologies, you know, but in, in general, um, I try not to talk for more than like 10 or 15 minutes. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, what I like to do is, and this actually goes back to a feeling I had when I was watching movies. Like, I don't know how, mm-hmm. you know, how it was when you were watching movies as a kid, but you know, when you'd watch a movie by like one of those filmmakers, Like Spielberg, Cameron, you know, Ridley, Tony, you know, Spike, Singleton, right? Mm -hmm. You knew from the first shot 
that they knew what they were doing. Now, you might not like the movie. Right. But there was right. just a confidence, right? Like, you just knew, mm-hmm. you know, like, oh, okay. Spike knows what he wants out of this. Right. You know, right. Cameron knows what he wants out of this. So I try to create that same sense of uh, creative certainty, not inflexible, but just like you have a perspective. And the way I do it is I always open with 10, 15 seconds of why the story I'm telling matters to me Mm -hmm. emotionally. Mm -hmm. Right. Like, you know, I'll I'll talk about how I think like right now, one of the things I, I share when I'm in pitches is... You know, the world's been on pause for a long time. The world's coming off of pause. We're all looking for how do we how do we return to our lives, but also should we return to our mm. lives, right? And we're coming out of the tunnel of darkness, and so we need heroism to do 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 do. And so I might like talk about that for like twenty seconds, and right. I mainly do it to give executives, bless their hearts, a through line, right? Because mm-hmm. because one of the things that that writers should keep in mind is we live and breathe this stuff all day. Executives do too, but they do it while managing other things. You got to remember that executives are hearing stories all the time. And now, see, it used to be that a story was usually like, oh, you made something up and, and it's relatable, right? Like a cop and they killed the guy and he has to go get the guy or, you know, you did the Ouija board and the thing happened or, you know, Now, they're looking for pitches on things that have 15, 25, 45 years of history that you may have all in your head because, you know, you're a nerd like I am. Bless their hearts, they haven't read all of those comics. They haven't played all all those video games. Like, they're trying to make a movie out of something, but a lot of times executives are also catching up to the source material, right? Right. So it's important to, I think, ground your story in this is what the story is about. Right. And and when I ask people that, because that's the first question I'll ask when someone's like, hey, Brian, I got this story. You know, I'm like, well, tell me what it's about. And I'm like, oh, well, it's about a guy who da, 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 da. I'm like, da, 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 da. that's what happens. Exactly. Ah, da, 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 da. What is story about? <laughs> Danielson. <laughs> right? right. And then it's like, oh, um, um, and I'm like, OK, that's your problem. Your problem is you don't have a thematic. You don't know what the story is about, right? And so that's what has to govern all of it is, is the story about, you know, um, a, a, the way you overcome adversity. Is a story about being able to control your identity rather than having your identity given to you. Is a story about how your chosen family is more important than your biological family. Like whatever it is, like what is right. the story about? And so I, I like to preface that quickly, not to prattle on about it, but when, the, when, when I'm pitching it now, when I, if I'm talking about the giant robot fighting the, the dinosaur man on a burning tower in the rain, right, rather than them getting lost in the aesthetics, they can always anchor that into, oh, but this is still a thing. I'm working with a, a director right now on a project. I can't say who yet, but they're great. They're brilliant but not like nerdy like I am. And mm-hmm. what's, what's great is I'm always relaying the plot stuff in emotional terms, you know, because that's something you can hold on to, right? That's, that's the reason why international audiences who can't speak a lick of English, 
who might see something with subtitles or might not sometimes right. can pick up the story because they know, oh, Superman, he wants to bring Lois back to life, so he's going to fly around the Earth to make it happen. Right. Right? Yeah. Um, so that's the main thing I try to keep in mind while pitching is, am I keeping the emotion? Right. And I think sometimes writers, we can get lost in causality and logic and how clever we are. You see how I set that thing up? I paid it off over here. And that's some of it. It's some of it. But, um, you know, it's it's always important to go back to that. And so I always tell writers, think about the films that you love. Don't think about them only as you think about them now after you've watched them 28 times. And right. you've read the 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 you know the AFM thing, the BFM thing, you know, the, you talked to Matt Stoller sites about it, and you know all the other stuff, and the vagaries, and the and the and the way the poem it is the day after lens, you see he keeps both in focus, and that's the meaning of that's all great. Right. But right, at the right. beginning, it is dude who has nothing comes to America from a communist place. And is willing to do anything in the name of capitalism to mm -hmm. achieve success. That's what this movie is about. That's why Tony does this. Tony does that. Tony does that. The world is yours. The rest of it, right? So it's, uh, it's really important to make sure that you're relaying the thematic strength of your story in your pitch. Because after right. that, if they buy into the thematics and they like the aesthetics, right. you're halfway to home. You're pitching an executive who's, like, you've been stressing out about it for a few weeks. You've right. been practicing it with your dog, you know, <laughs> with your friends, bothering your spouse, in the mirror, the rest of it, right? You're doing all this. Executives are human beings, you know, and they go to work. And they have to listen to you and be, and be there for you. They also have to do the things before you and the things after you. Right. You know, it's, it's just you're you're just trying to connect and i and i and i find that if you can find like a just a point of human connection you know um and usually for me it's always a matter of if i say something that feels true and not risky in the sense that i'm saying something dangerous but risky in the sense that i'm being honest usually honesty cuts through the transactional feeling in the room, right? And yes. and when an executive, you know, most of the time, and when they hear like, oh, that's an honest way in, like that's an honest right. thing to say, you know, you can see like, okay, well, I'll, I'll listen to what this guy has to say. And and for writers that are really new to this, remember, they they may not like all of the details of your story, but they might like enough of it and like you and be willing to work with you and develop it into what they need, right? So mm -hmm. like, you know, um, and and for me, the way I stay sane with all of this is I never go in there worrying about the result. Right. Can't control that. What, what I do try to do is genuinely enjoy the time I have sharing the story with somebody. Right. Um, even when people don't buy that pitch, they remember me, like me. Right. You right. know, I'll bring that guy back in. He was fun. He pitched something fun, right? So in Hollywood, I find that, especially on the writing end of it, sometimes an L is a W. It just needs more time in the oven. Yes. You know? Yes. It's hard. And sometimes a W can be an L if you're not careful. Right. right. <laughs> so. well, and that, but, like, it's, it, you have to be so astute, so aware. You know what I mean? Like, like even um, 
I was thinking about uh, the whole idea of the why, because that's oftentimes where like a bad movie goes awry because the why is not mm-hmm. clear, you know? And I, when I used to teach, when I, when it came, when it went full circle and I was teaching at NYU, I would ask you, tell me what your, your film's about, your short film's about. And mm-hmm. it was almost inevitably plot plot. And so, uh, you know, I, I had found some breakdown of a bunch of movies and I, that everybody should know, I guess. Uh, and I, and I gave them it as a reference. Like it, I think it said like Tootsie, is a man becomes a woman to become a better man or something like that, right? Sure. And um, whatever it had for Terminator and Star Wars. But like, when it comes to like, you can always rely on that why to get you through the meeting, through the scene, mm-hmm. you know, months later, through the press fucking tour. You know what I mean? Like you're always going back to the why, but sure. we often get clouded by like the bells and whistles. and. The, the folks who can really break things down to the simple elements have careers. And quite honestly, like you're the, you're the protector of the honesty. Uh, they almost, you know, we need you to understand the why and to be unflinchingly honest about it as the writer. So we have something real from which to create. Well, if, if, if we don't know the why we can't expect anyone else in the process to know it for us. Right. right. Like, and, and what you're saying is critically important because when you get into the boots of the ground aspect of this, right, when you're playing right. football, right, right, you know, it's three o'clock in the morning. <laughs> you know, Brenton is coming to me dressed as Nightwing, mm-hmm. asking me, why am I doing this? Right. Right. I need to know because actors are smart. They will see when you don't know. Right. Right. They'll see when you're making it up. You know, and, and, you know, so many times on Titans, because we produce our episodes, the writers, we go up there and work with directors, you know, Mm -hmm. directors are coming in and they're all crazy prepared, but you're still coming into the middle of something. And, you know, did you get two seasons of TV in your head before the gig? Maybe you did. Maybe you didn't get the whole thing in what's happening in the next episode. My character wouldn't do this. And the character on paper never does this. There's a lot to deal with. Right. 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 Having that clarifying understanding of this is what the story is about, this is why we're telling it, this is why the character is doing it, that's that's critical um, mm-hmm. uh, to know, you know, uh, and uh, I think that that helps things get out of this feeling of it's being transactional, and and you know, it, it I can understand how if you're an executive, you might not have gotten into this business just to adapt funny books, right. You know, right. like, right. it's like you got into the business because you like to create, too. You want to be creative. You want to, and now you're getting these things that have all these rules. Mm-hmm. Bruce mm-hmm. can't do that. Right. Clark can't do that. You know? Right. Peter can't do that. Tony definitely doesn't do that. So, you know, this is the, and so it's easy for everything to feel like restrictive, you know, like, you know, and all that. So um, understanding what the why is, how we can all get there. Uh, I think makes it feel collaborative. And so I always tell people that the way you work for someone is to start working for someone or working with someone, mm-hmm. depending on what preposition you use. And what I mean by that is, if you if you do a pitch, you open up with, this is what it's about, why it matters to you. You know, quick, you know, little group of seconds, get you in there. You talk for like 10, 15 minutes. You make sure you're highlighting the emotional journey of your protagonist, you know, getting those things right. in there. Got some energy in your pitch. And then you start the Q&A. The Q&A is really where it pops. Right. 
Because now you're right. working with somebody, right? Right. They're asking you questions and you're answering questions and then they're vibing off of you. They're vibing. See, now you're working with them. Right. And once you're working with someone, it's pretty easy to keep working with someone. Right. right. You know? So my, my, it's the same thing in comics. I tell writers all the time. If you want to get, you know, you want to write a Batman story or the rest of it, contact an editor who edits a book you like and just start bouncing story. Like, just start talking about things. Right. On Twitter right. or whatever, you know, just... And if you start just kind of vibing with someone, then it's really easy to convert that into a contract to do a right. job. You know, I, I love, I love, I love this man. And for folks listening, like there's like, we're not even like putting bullet points or mile markers on all the game here, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. but it's, it's there to be extracted. Cause I have a similar perspective on meetings, you know, general meetings. Like I, I, I began to view them also, like you said, not as a result-oriented meeting, but like, here's my story, here's who I am, but also here's your first opportunity to get a sense of me as a director. Right. So I come in there with an agenda for the scene, which is this meeting that I intend to make happen, right? Mm -hmm. And 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 how and what tools I have to call upon to do that, I'm going to discover when we get in there. But I know if I do it well you know, just like any of the best direction you ever give, people won't feel handled. But in the, uh, in the, in the consideration of the 20 to 30 other meetings they had that week, I'm trying to be in the top five. And mm -hmm. then just that alone gives you a fighting chance. Then maybe you took the time, like you talk about mentioning, like why it's important to you. Like anybody can, can, I hate, I hate when people say that shit. A lot of folks in the industry have the ability and the competency to sit at a keyboard, to pick a shot, to yell action cut, you know, sure, to sure. say, take four frames off the end, you know, but the, but the connective tissue to the themes and the why are often the reason you get a job, you know, and I, I, I'm thinking of a pitch that I just gave for a pilot where um, I didn't get it. They said they, they found somebody who was like more closely connected to the material. And I'm like, well, I, I guess they're a criminal, you know, because right. because because it, it was about like something in the criminal world. Like, so I guess they're fresh out. Yeah, but, yeah. You know, it's just interesting that, um, you know, I look back like hmm, maybe I should have taken an opportunity to better tether myself to the world of the show without in uh, and, and, and less of a cerebral presentation of. Well, and that's how, that's actually yeah. a great, a great point, Pete. Right. Because there's so much that we don't know. Right mm -hmm. on the creative side. Mm -hmm. So, what could have happened is you gave that pitch. What they recognized in you was, we don't need him for this, <laughs> right? Like, like, and that's happened to me before. We, right. you go and you pitch a thing and you didn't right. get it, and you're like, oh, I thought a really good job, and then like six weeks later, right, my reps right. get a phone call saying, oh, they want to bring you back for this other thing. True, true, be true. Because they realized in the in the meeting. Yeah, you could do this. Right. But right. we have this other problem that we haven't even shared with people yet. Mm -hmm. And we want to see what your mind does with that, right? right. Like and that's that's why it's all valuable. And and yes. and what to to writers that are listening to this that are on social media make sure that your social media reflects your best self. Mm. because I everyone like is paying attention to 
everything, right? right. And if, if you're like, you know, you're an easygoing person in the room, but then I go to your social media and you're lighting the world on fire every day, right? That might make someone be like, oh, I don't really know. So, you know, everything is representing who you are, not just the moments where you're aware of it, right? Yes. Um, and Man. demeanor goes a long way in this business. You ain't lying. Wait, so I, I want to see if, I, I don't even know if this is a good question. So we'll, we're about to no, find out. Um, what has working in the world of comics taught you about yourself mm. and how are you using that as you step into new spaces moving forward in your career? Hmm. Well, you know, what it reminds me of and kind of constantly teaches me is that I'm always partly going to be that 13-year-old kid running to the comic book store looking to get that new story to make the week better, right? Uh -huh. See, when you write a screenplay, Pete, even if you sell one for a bunch of money, 25 people might read that screenplay, uh -huh. right? Uh -huh. Uh -huh. Five sometimes, right? <laughs> it likely will never get made. No matter how good it is, it's just, you know, things just don't get made as often as things get acquired, right? That's right. just the business we're in. So you don't get that real-time feedback. Mm -hmm. With comics, they come out every month. Right. I get real-time feedback on what my choices uh, are affecting in readers, you know? Right. What they connect with, what they don't connect with, what they connected with in surprising ways. Like you mentioned before, you know, that joke was like fine to you. And then that becomes the thing people remember. Right, right. right. Uh, so it's invaluable for me to have that real-time feedback, uh, you know, from, from readers. Right. Because that keeps me from uh, being so siloed away in my weird Hollywood existence that mm -hmm. I, I forget, you know. Um, and so that's really why I continue to do them. Because I don't make, you know, I make way more money writing screenplays and writing TV than I do writing comic books, right? Right. But it's not a fiscal uh, incentive. For me, it just grounds me. Right. You know? And so what, I, I, what are you, like, what are you working on now that we should talk about? What's, like, in the mm. pipeline that is uh, available for public consumption? Uh, you know, I want to make sure folks... Go oh, yeah, and for watch sure. all the shit that they need to watch from Let's the mind see. of Brian Hill. So, of the things I can I can talk about, um, can't really talk too much about Power Rangers. It's a thing. Uh, I'm part of it. You know, we'll just. I should probably stop talking at that point. Right? Feature film, though. Feature film, one of those yes. big things. Um, uh, uh, working with Jonathan Entwistle on that, um, and my work on that is almost done on my end. But he's super smart. Uh, mm -hmm. Really, really talented filmmaker, a lovely guy. Um, you know, I'm just a small part of that process, but uh, was happy um, to, you know, to kind of be on that thing. Um, besides that, let's see. I adapted a graphic novel called Black um, sure. that uh, is getting, you know, ramped up to get made. Um, more announcements on that soon. Um, uh, beyond that, working on Titans. Uh, we're just finishing up season three. Uh, we're, we're a couple more episodes of season three to shoot, but we're just about done with that. So you'll be able to see my work in that. I've been on that show since the beginning. Um, I have other feature things that I can't talk about, but you'll hear about soon. So the best way to do it is 
just follow me on Twitter. It's Brian Edward Hill, at Brian Edward Hill. Brian with a Y. Why? Because we like you. Um, <laughs> and and I, I talk about all my things there. Like, I got a book called Chariot. It's a comic book. It's out now. I think the second issue just released last month. Third issue uh-huh. will be out soon. Um, so I've been really grateful, Pete. Like, I've, I've been able to do a lot of work uh, during the pandemic. Um, so expect to see me pop up. And for, for folks that aren't like hip to the game, by the time you see the announcement, I'm right. probably done. Right. You know, like right. it's not like they don't announce it when you get it. So when you, when you like pick up deadline or something, and you're like, Oh, Brian Hill hired to do that. Brian Hill didn't wrote the second draft of that already. Right, 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 right. You know right. what I mean? So there's, so it's, it's going to seem like, Oh man, he got this, then he got that, then he got that. A lot of the stuff that you're going to hear about is just, it's been gestating for a while, you know? Right. And again, it's that mythology of overnight. Nothing happened overnight. Right, right. You know, you're just... Patience, you're just, my patience. friend. <laughs> like, it just, you're just seeing the tip of the iceberg of how it all goes down. But, uh, but yeah, Twitter is the best place to catch a hold of me. And, um, you know, I got a horror movie that I, that I wrote that I, um, uh, I'm directing. It's coming together. Hopefully, we can get that going by the end of the year. More announcements on that. Right. Um, I love that you're still directing, man. Because I remember we were in Sight and Sound film yeah, yeah. together sophomore year, and I can remember even going back to I won't date ourselves, but back then, uh, your films were good. You know, oh, thank and, you, man. There was a, a lot of sensibility. Yeah, you know, it's it's um. Uh, I don't see myself honestly, like I'm not going to be the prolific filmmaker you are, right? Like, like one of my, one of my, uh, um, kind of professional heroes was a dude named John Sales. Yes. And what I like about Sales is Sales would make a movie, but then he would just write a bunch of movies for people. Mm-hmm. Then he'd make another one. I think that's more of like the vibe, right? Right. Like, you know, I might make like a cool little horror movie, you know, and then I just write movies for people. Uh, um, you know, uh, so it's more of just a creative thing that would be fun to do. I think it'd be a a cool script to direct. And I, one of my goals is to make the scariest thing I can possibly make. Uh So that's the mission for this one is how can I make the scariest film I can possibly make? But besides that, yeah, you know, writing's popping, just find me on social media, you know, I'll talk about things when I can. So my final question for you, um, is as a storyteller, Hmm. As a, I'm gonna kind of, I'm gonna kind of do like a little hi, Maslow's uh, sure, hierarchy, the hierarchy right? of needs. <laughs> <laughs> as sure. a storyteller at the top, hmm. as a filmmaker, right, right below, and maybe I should be reversing it. But let, let's, as a storyteller, as a filmmaker, as a writer, sure. What advice would you give to? directors and you can answer this however you want Mm. because as you see people take your words and you know uh hopefully uh create a nice creative handshake with what you wrote but i'm sure sometimes you're like the fuck you know what i mean um but what do you what would you say to uh directors and maybe this is more emerging i don't know could be professionals i'll kind of leave it up to you um, from your perspective, to keep in mind to, to best tell the story that they're handed from a writer. Well, having worked with um, a lot of directors in television, you know, because now I'm on my fourth year of TV, which is great mm-hmm. because you get to, you know, you meet a lot of different directors that have a lot of different styles. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a script of mine directed, a feature of mine directed last January. Um, Guy Pierce is in it, Matilda Lutz, 
So I was able to see someone uh, interpret a feature that I wrote too. Right. And, you know, kind of working with more in a screenwriting capacity over the past year or so, a few A-listers, you know, there. Um, I think it's finding that, that perfect intersection between curiosity and certainty. Mm. Mm-hmm. That's what I respond to, right? Is mm-hmm. a is our filmmakers like if I'm working with a filmmaker and she knows who she is as a storyteller, right? Right. This is how these are the things that anchor, you know, her. This is how she sees the world. These are the things that matter to her. But on top of that is a curiosity about the the story, the way to execute it, other people's ideas, right? Like like this is just how I respond. If a, if a director shows up and is, at first, when there's time, listening to what everyone has to say, mm-hmm. my assumption is, oh, they must be really confident, hmm. right? Because they're not showing up to be the wunderkind. Mm-hmm. They're not mm-hmm. showing up, because mm-hmm. eventually you will be the wunderkind, right? Like, it's, it's that feeling of someone who knows that eventually they make the choice anyway, so there's right. no harm in listening to people. And that makes me feel secure. Right, 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 right. Like I love working for people like that because, you know, I know that they know when to close it down, right? There's a time when you got to get to work right. and everyone can't have an idea. But, right, right. you know, when, when you see them, whether it's an actor's idea or, you know, the AD has a thing and, and, and you know, like when I see people who are engaging like that, Mm-hmm. That that makes me feel like oh they're not proving anything they're directing, right? You know, right? Um, and I respond really well to that. I think that brings my best work out because, as as a you know, for someone who works with slash for directors often, it's a lot like being an actor. Honestly, like when you're a director, everyone you work with is an actor. What do they want? They want your approval. Right. Right. That's what they want. That's what I want. Right. If I'm right. a screenwriter and like if I write a script for you, Pete, and you read it, I want your approval. I want right. you, I want you to think it's good. Right. right. Um, and so uh when directors seem to understand that and and know how to uh give you an environment where you feel like you can say something that might be crazy and not get punished for it. Right. Right. Then I think you create the best environment and it disseminates. The other thing I'll say, and this is that's more of the creative side of it. The yes, other sir. thing is more of like a personal side of it. Mm-hmm. I I look at how someone treats the least important person in a process. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So if you're a director and you're beautiful to the actors, you're beautiful to me, mm-hmm. to the mm-hmm. showrunner, but you're terrible to like a key grip. Yeah. Right. Or you're terrible to like the the you know the third AD or whatever it is. Right. That's right. when I know who you are. Yes. That's who you are. You're the person that was mean to the person carrying the light off of the truck. That's right. who you actually are. Who you who right. are when you talk to me is the mask. Right. Yeah. So that's the other thing I would say is, and every every like, you know, super experienced you know, been in the business 40 years type of person I've met with. That's right. one of the first things I've always told me is. Yeah. I pay attention to how someone treats the least powerful person in the room right. because then and, I know what you are. 
And also, even if it's not your, even if it's an act, mm -hmm. <laughs> right. right? Even if it's an act, it's an act that benefits you as a director. Because, Absolutely. I mean, I can't even tell you, I, I did, you know, now like, uh, uh, not to get into anecdotes, but like I, I now I kind of challenge myself to ask for like something a little crazy on everything. Sure. Just because I want to see, I want to see how people react sometimes and I want to see if I can get it. And on you, I was like, oh, you know, I'm a, I want to, because a character goes up the stairs and I was like, I want to have a shot where the camera is going up the stairs with the person with their legs in the foreground um, and settles on the person who's left down there and kind of like her own personal prison, right? Because mm, okay. we're going through the banister. The shit they had to build For to that? get that shot, yeah, yeah. I, I didn't even know that was the big ask. Right. But, you know, they did it because they were like, yo, dude's cool. Like, he's like saying what's up. He's like, yo, we're having, we're chopping it up. And I think like mm -hmm. they, that would have been, they very easily could have been like, we can't do that. Right. You know, but like they had a pulley system that came around the, and was anchored to the top of the stage. And it was like wild. And mm -hmm. I hope the cut, I hope the shot makes it, you know? <laughs> sure, sure, sure. But, but to your point, man, it, it's, it's, it's true. It's a business of people. Well, and um, from, from being a writer, you know, I'm always working with the departments after the director leaves their meeting, right? Yes. And so you, you get from the departments how they feel about the director, you right. know? And right. every director that has been genuinely interested in the craft of what everyone does gets the best out of everybody. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. And and uh, and directors often don't see it because they'll leave the room and they got to do the next thing. And then I got to talk to props. Right. And then they'll be like, oh, man, I don't know about so and so. Or they'll be like, oh, so and so is great. Right. Right. And right. It, it all it all shows up, you know, because and eventually you're going to need a close up of that prop. And if it doesn't look good. Maybe like you didn't communicate with the prop person the way you should blame, have. Or... Blame yourself. <laughs> blame right? Yourself. You know? Yeah. It's, it's, it's all part of it. So, so yeah, just, you know, just, um, you know, professionally be certain and equally curious. Personally, you know, just try to leave rooms better than you walked into them. Man, that's, that's, that's sage advice, man. And, and hopefully, you know, we'll be able to, uh, after all this time, finally collab on some shit. Oh, man. for sure, man. It's been you know, a while. yeah. Well, you know, we'll see uh, what goes on with Titans. Um, we don't really know yet if we're going to do another one. Um, okay. But if we do, uh, you know, I'd love to try to find um, you know a way for us to work together. And if not that, then something else, man. Yes, sir. Yes, sir, man. Well, that would be awesome. I appreciate your time, uh, and. Uh, I'm sure that people will get a lot from this, y'all. And I'm, I'm so everybody. happy for for everything you've been doing too, Pete. Um, it just, you know, it makes it makes me feel good to see you succeeding like this. So appreciate that. Man, thanks, brother. I appreciate you. Much love. All right then. What's up, people? This is Pete Chapman. Follow me on Instagram and on Twitter via at Pete Chapman. Follow the pod on Facebook on our Let's Shoot with Pete Chapman official page and hit up our mailbag with questions, suggestions, or hey, donations if you're feeling like it via Let's Shoot with Pete Chapman at gmail.com. And just in case you need to know how to spell it, that's Pete with the last name C-H-A-T-M-O-N.
All right, folks, thank you for listening to episode 29 of Let's Shoot with Pete Chapman. Again, any questions, hit up that mailbag at Pete Chapman, at Let's Shoot with Pete Chapman, or traditional email, Let's Shoot with Pete Chapman at gmail.com. We look forward to sharing episode 30 with you coming soon. More to come on who that guest will be. This is becoming a bit of a running theme, but stay tuned. It'll be dope. All right, y'all. In the meantime, Stay safe, spread love, and keep creating.